0: A reading from Luke's Gospel. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow, and with her was a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has looked favorably on his people. This word about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. He was her only son. Her grief was raw as she walked beside his casket to the city gate. The large crowd from her town wept with her, and in the tradition of Jewish funerals of her day, some of the mourners cried out over the death of their neighbor's only son. They made a lot of racket as their tears streamed down their faces. Perhaps she did not even notice Jesus and the large crowd following him. She was wrapped in the fog of despair, maybe even hopelessness. Some of us may know all too well what this widow of Nain's grief was like. We have mourned the death of a child. No parent should have to bury their child. And we know what it feels like to have our world turned upside down, our grief overwhelms us. Like the psalmist, we know what it means for our tears to be our meat day and night. It was a hard time for this woman, this unnamed widow of name. Widows in first-century Palestine had little if any resources. She lived in a culture where women, women encountered gender inequality in property ownership, job opportunities, and access to resources. When the funeral procession ends, the crowd will depart, and she will return to the agony of her son's empty chair and to the challenge of having enough to eat. In this unnamed widow's case, she not only lost her only son, but she lost her source for daily bread. How would she eat? How would she live? Her grief was very raw. She could lean on her women friends. They would surround her with love. They would cry with her. They would pray with her. And like many of us, they would bring her meals. They would comfort her. They would be her strength when she could not be a strength for herself. She had her faith community to support her as well, and her relatives might assist her, but what if there were no more male relatives to take her in? For now, Jewish custom required the dead be buried within 24 hours, and so concern for her livelihood faded into the background, but only briefly. Imagine the widow of Nain immersed within a large crowd from her town as they walked alongside her son's, her only son's, casket to bury him outside the city gate. And then there was Jesus, and he had this large crowd with him, people who had been healed by him, or people who had witnessed him healing, sometimes without even physical touch or closeness and proximity and true to to luke's form of pageantry that was evident at jesus birth and throughout his early ministry as we find ourselves with the widow and her faith community and jesus and his early followers large crowds luke has them meet at the city gate which was also the place where businesses were transacted, as well as the place for which funeral processions passed through to the outside of town. Word had spread throughout Galilee far and wide about this Jesus, the worker of miracles. The crowd following him had just witnessed him heal a centurion slave from a distance all because the centurion respected Jesus' authority, calling him Lord and had confidence in the effectiveness even of Jesus' word. This widow of Nain is in a potential state of hopelessness except that the Lord Jesus passed by at her moment of distress and of her greatest need. He entered her chaos and sees her in the moment of her distress, and he has compassion for her tears. One translation says that when Jesus saw the widow, his heart broke, it broke in two, and he saw her. He saw her pain, her tears mattered to him. His compassion compels him to relieve the widow's suffering, and Jesus comforts her saying, don't cry. He does not quiet her authentic response to her only son's death and her tearful circumstance. No, Jesus quiets her tears because he is about to do a great thing for her. He is about to transform her circumstances the ones that cause her pain, and he wastes no time. Without anyone's permission, Jesus stops the funeral procession. And with great authority from only God alone, Jesus simply touches the son's casket and says, young man, I say to you, rise. And the widow's only son, who had been dead for at least 24 hours, sits up, and he speaks. I always wonder what he might have said. What kind of witness is that so early in Jesus' ministry, where only Luke tells this story? The impact of this resurrecting phrase is exponential. A son is brought back to life, and a mother gets a restored relationship peace of mind, and a means of survival. Jesus' ministry of outreaching love and compassion transforms her community, too. Luke says, Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has looked favorably upon God's people. Luke wants it clear that That something greater, someone greater than just any prophet is here. Only Jesus, the Son of God, can resuscitate this widow's dead son. One translation says God is back, looking to the needs of his people. God has kept God's promises. But as wonderful as this outcome is, it can be hard for us to hear this story. We've lost people we love, some of us as late as this past month, but there was not a prophet to touch their casket and bring them back to life. And yet that the Spirit of God, Jesus sees us. Jesus accompanies us as we face the realities of death and loss. And Jesus looks at us with the same compassion that he looked upon this woman, this widow at Nain. The kind of deep visceral response that is not pity but a feeling of depth that it breaks Jesus' heart and compels him to reach out in compassion to heal to meet us in our suffering this is the same deep compassion we read about read about later in luke's gospel when the samaritan sees the wounded man left for dead on the side of the road that same verb of seeing and having compassion is there in luke's translation when the father welcomes home his prodigal son. He, he sees his son from a distance, and he runs to meet him. The same kind of seeing, the same kind of compassion that Jesus has shown to this woman who is vulnerable and potentially without life-giving resources. Only Jesus, through the compassion and healing power of God in our midst can give life and promise eternal life to all who suffer and to all who grieve. In the words of the late Frederick Beekner, of this you can be sure. Whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, it is well to pay the closest attention. They are not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, But more often than not, God is speaking to you through them of the mystery of where you have come from and is summoning you to where, if your soul is to be saved, you should go to next. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are compelled to have compassion for one another here at IPC, in and about these walls of this holy place, with our family of faith and well beyond this family as we grow our circle of faith and especially among those who are most vulnerable, like the widow at Nain. The actions of the community Jesus encountered in Luke's Gospel remind us of the responsibility and gift in communities like ours to walk with those suffering among us. Just as Jesus saw the widow, we see women, men, and children in our community who struggle with death-dealing realities. Many of them are overlooked and undervalued in our society. Here at IPC, we are in ministry with people who are struggling because of extreme poverty, violence, and death. It's a part of the DNA of this wonderful family of faith that goes all the way back to our founding in 1915. And this is no simple charity or act of kindness, but it's a gutsy act, a deep and visceral response to poverty that still reigns all around us. Many of the people we serve have minimal financial resources, and some of them have no one to lean on Mr. B struggles to get by on his monthly Social Security check and comes to our blessing boxes a couple times a week to make ends meet. He also shares with his apartment neighbors who struggle, and he sometimes, like this past week, brings items to our blessing boxes because he knows what is needed. He knows what he needs, and he understands the beautiful cycle of our neighborhood blessing of one another. Ms. E struggles with health issues and is one of the many people in our community who are underinsured. Yet she makes sure her grandchildren and other young people in the community get to school, get a good meal, get to worship, and some of them even get to our summer learning program at the Children's Fresh Air Farm. Ms. E also makes sure vulnerable senior adults in our community get to our new food box ministry in East Lake because she knows that they are struggling unlimited income and she knows that they can receive healthier produce and even some meat and milk and eggs and bread. The feminization of poverty in first century Palestine is evident through Luke's story of the widow at Nain. And painfully, too many of the mothers and grandmothers we are in ministry with struggle in similar death-dealing realities too. It is complicated, and it is their truth, and it is our own truth. And it is out of that truth, our own truth, that I share with you today. It's important for you to know that our collective gifts have prevented six women-led households with multiple children from eviction in the past two months alone. Many of us have been overcome also with sadness and rage even over the violent death of Alfred Jenkins, Jr. Those of you close to Reverend Susan Clayton know of her special bond with Alfred as she was a stair tutor and he was one of her great joys. Our former STAIR director and current IPC social services director, Evelyn Puckett, knew and loved Alfred too. In the wake of his death and funeral, we find ourselves grieving this precious gift of Alfred, even as we probe the underside of our collective reality. While we endeavor to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, we are also compelled by him to action, to help immediately relieve suffering, and to also to pay attention to the systemic issues of generational poverty in our midst. We want to continue to educate ourselves about the deeper reasons behind the staggering numbers of why too many of our neighbors live in poverty of why 20% of children in Jefferson County are food insecure, and of why 97% of the children at Hayes K-8 School are food insecure. That's just one of many of the layers of their challenging lives and of their mothers and their grandmothers and their fathers and their communities and us as we try to do something about it. Jesus calls us to be about the fullness of his healing work. That includes love. That includes offering food or money in a time of need to prevent an eviction, or to feed hungry people. Even as we fervently pray for an end to poverty and work on the reasons behind violence. Luke goes on to say towards the end of this chapter, this word about Jesus spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. Jesus' compassionate healing rippled well beyond Nain. It surely rippled five miles to the west to Jesus' own hometown of Nazareth, and it rippled back to the north to Capernaum where he had healed, The centurion slave without even seeing him. The circumference of Jesus' ministry and his healing power was reminiscent of his first sermon in Nazareth directly from the book of Isaiah about bringing good news to the poor and proclaiming release to the imprisoned and letting the oppressed go free. And then His hometown became enraged by his interpretation of God's attention to widows and enemies through Elijah and Elisha, perhaps over and above their own understanding of who it was he represented and what God was calling him to be, this great prophet who would become the savior of his people and the savior of the entire world. Jesus was intent on fulfilling God's promises Just after our story at the widow of Nain, Jesus responds to John the Baptist's messengers about the miracles he was performing, which echo back to that first sermon, as well as to his his clear and comforting and convicting words of his sermon on the plain. Jesus says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them. Jesus Christ comes to us with compassionate hope and the promise of abundant and eternal life. He is present with the Spirit of God as we partake of communion, as we remember his last night when he reached out and offered his body and his blood, when he reached out and took a towel and washed his disciples feet and told them and tells us to go and do likewise. The Lord indeed sees us, he hears our afflictions, he heals us of our afflictions even calls us out of our own caves of sadness and offers us abundant life in faithful community in the here and now as we await for the precious gift of our ultimate healing and of life eternal, of salvation to come for the whole world God loves. Amen.